Welcome back to episode 28 of the TLDR podcast. Also, first episode of 2021, boys. We are through 2020. We're moving on. Uh, Let's check in with the boys real quick. James, how you doing? I'm good, man. I've been kind of grinding on this podcast, writing a bunch of articles, getting your guys' stuff published too. Uh, So you guys should check out any of our social medias or our website, tldrpodcast.net. We have a lot of good content out there. So, you know, swing by, give it a read, educate yourself, you know, all good stuff. There you go. Reading, reading is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, trading. How's the new year treating you so far? It's good. It's good. Um, you know, world junior hockey is on. That's what, you know, I've been kind of spending, well, spending today um, following. Um, got a gold medal game going on right now. So we'll update you guys as it goes along. But other than that, USA, I'm, I'm USA. USA baby. Oh, that was so rude. Traden was talking. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, really I'm, take a shot, I'm good. Take a shot. <laughs> so Tyler is also here, obviously. Ty, how Hi. you doing? What up, guys? I'm doing good. Uh, you guys can tell, just moved into my new apartment. So I spent all weekend doing that. Um, definitely Nobody happy. knew. Nobody, Nobody knew. knew. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody. I did it all myself. I did everything myself. Um, it's just how I do it. It's how I roll. Um, wow. But yeah, so I'm a lot closer to work, which feels great. Um, so I'm really enjoying the new spot. So first, first, uh, podcast of 2021 and first, uh, podcast in the new place. So feeling good about it. Man, Tyler, you're the one that's like done the podcast from at least five different places. Yeah. I think I, I think I have the record for the most locations. We should look at like all the YouTube clips and just see all the different backgrounds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're just all over the place. Uh, you might've noticed also Eric is not here. Uh, he's got a Clippers game tonight, so he will not be joining us, uh, but hopefully he'll be back next week. Um, but no break. We're going to go straight into it. James, the playoff playoffs is here for football. How pumped are you right now? Oh, so excited, man. These games are the best games you'll see. It's wild card round, winner go home. It's going to be great. So what I want to do, we're going to go through a couple of previews here, but we're going to go through it differently than we usually do. It's not just going to be me talking. We're going to have a little debate. So you get both sides and you get a little bit more interaction from the guys. So we'll see how this goes. We're going to start with the NFC today. Uh, we're going to start with the number two seeded New Orleans Saints at 12 and four, hosting the number seven seeded Chicago Bears at eight and eight. This year, the Saints started out as huge Super Bowl favorites, but like 12 and four, are they really a Super Bowl favorite? Drew Brees got hurt. He's old. Michael Thomas is out. Kamara's out. But they could be back, and this could be the healthiest they've been all season long. On the season, they have the third highest amount of points at 482 and put up the sixth highest amount of yards in the NFC. The Bears on offense struggle with consistency on the offensive side due mainly to shaky quarterback play, and the Bears finished the regular season with the fifth lowest points and the third lowest yards in the NFC. There's two bright spots for the Bears, though, and that's Allen Robinson and David Montgomery. Allen Robinson is a shorthanded, contested catch wide receiver that over, easily over 1,000 yards, and David Montgomery finally broke out to his third-degree pedigree. Like, he's good. On the defensive side, the Saints are good. They give the third lowest yards per game and points scored against. They're led by DeMario Davis and Trey Hendrickson, who had 13.5 sacks, which is crazy. The Bears, on the other hand, usually at the top of the rankings. This year, they're not. They're right in the middle at seven on the defensive side. So, Alex, why, is, why are the Saints going to win? 
Yeah, you already you nailed it right on the head earlier, James. It's because they're finally getting healthy. Um, I think I read a stat earlier today that Drew Brees and Michael Thomas were played in the same quarter for only 10 quarters all season out of the, I think it was out of 66 plus some like overtime quarters. That's it. That's a very small margin for, you know, Michael Thomas who won offensive player of the year last year, set a record with catches. Um, That's why they're going to win. They're a much better team than the bears. The bears, you know, they, they came in, uh, they came back to squeak into the playoffs and then they just got destroyed by the Packers. They're not in the same class as the saints. Um, I don't expect the Bears to put up much of a fight. Tyler, why is Alex wrong and why are the Bears going to win? First of all, it's pronounced Dub Bears. Oh, excuse <laughs> me. Yeah, and second of all, I mean, I, the Bears clearly the, the, the underdog here. But let's look at a stat. Since 2004, 500 teams are 6-1 and one in the wildcard round. So you see a lot of upsets in, the, in these type of situations. The caveat to that, of course, with the, with the new playoff format, you know, the Bears are playing the two-seed Saints versus probably a three-seed or um, what have you. So a slightly better team um, than they probably nor- that they normally would play. Um, but, you, James, you mentioned the Bears' defense um, is kind of middle-of-the-pack ranked after a really good year last year. I still think that they have more to give this season. I think that they, they can potentially play like a very, very good top elite defense. Um, if they can contain Alan Kamara and turn Drew Kamara. Brees, Kamara. <laughs> and, they, and, if, and if they can turn Drew Brees into a tired old man, I think that they have a good shot at winning this game. And, but as I said, it's, it's going to start with their defense. If, if your defense can play up to their potential, I think they got a good shot. Alex, you have anything to say about that? Yeah. So the last time the bears beat the saints was 2008. You know who the quarterback was for the bears? Kyle Orton of all people, the bears oh do not God. have a shot. This game is going to be a joke. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> All right, Alex, what do you think the final score is going to be? 31-17 Saints. Tyler? I'm going to go 21-20 Bears, squeak it out. Wow, and Trayden? I'm going to have to agree with, uh, with Alex. I like his score. Sounds right to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I personally went with a 31-16, not 17, sorry, Alex, but 31-16. No one sticks that dub there. Moving on to the next game, we have the number three seeded Seattle Seahawks at 12 and four versus the number six seeded Los Angeles Rams at 10 and six. The Seahawks offense this year was weird, guys. The first half of the season, Russell Wilson went Mr. Unlimited and put up crazy numbers. He, had, he averaged 317 yards per game and had 28 touchdowns in his first eight games. But then in the second eight games, 181 yards per game and 12 touchdowns. Weird turnaround right there. But that offensive side of the ball for the Seahawks had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both extremely good wide receivers. And they also have a workhorse back in Chris Carson. On the Rams side of the ball, it's a question of will Goff play? And if he does play, which Goff shows up? The good Goff or the bad Goff? If he doesn't play, you got John Wolford in there. The dude has had one appearance in the NFL in his first pass with a touchdown. Or not a touchdown, but an interception. So the opposite of that. First pass was interception, but he did pull out the win. The one against the Cardinals in week 17. Rounding out the Rams offense are two 900 plus yard wide receivers in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Those guys are great, but they're hampered by QB play. On the defensive side, the Seahawks are not good. They allow 285 passing yards per game. The Seahawks do, however, have one of the best linebackers in the league in Bobby Wagner. The dude put up 138 tackles. Insane. And they also have Jamal Adams, but he's injured right now. He may or may not play. 
On the Rams side, that defense is elite. They're far and away the best defense in the NFC. On the season, they rank first in yards allowed per game with 281 yards and points allowed with 18.5 per game. They're led, of course, by Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Alex, why did the Seahawks going to win? Yeah, the Seahawks, so the Seahawks defense uh, kind of gets a bad rap. They started off the season really poor. It's kind of like their offense, but in the opposite. Their defense started off really poor, and then it got better as the season went on. Uh, the Seahawks also know the Rams, obviously, their divisional opponents. They played twice this year. Uh, they split that series. Um, I just think with the Goff injury plus his very inconsistent play, the Seahawks are a much better team. It all comes down to if Russell Westbrook can uh, – Russell Westbrook? Russell Wilson? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm watching basketball wrong, at the same Russell. time. Russell Wilson can uh, keep from getting hit too much by Aaron Donald and that elite defensive front for the Rams. Um, I do think the Seahawks will pull this one out, though. Tyler, why is Alex wrong, and why will the Rams win? Yeah, obviously the biggest question mark for the Rams is going to be that quarterback play, but I think either way – they're going to have the backing of that number one defense on the opposite end of the end of the football. They're going to lose or win by that defense. And that defense has been great all season long. I mean, they won last week without even scoring an in, in, in offensive touchdown. That's how good their, their defense is. They've been playing very well going in. Um, granted, the Seahawks are very good at home, especially in the, in the, in the playoffs. Um, but I, like I said, I think that they'll figure out enough, to get through the, the Seahawks defense and they'll score enough and that defense will lock them down and they'll come away with a first round win. Alex, you have a rebuttal? Yeah, without Goff, and even if he does play, he's obviously not going to be a hundred percent. I just can't, you can't trust Wolford enough to believe in the Rams. Um, I mean, he had a, he had a good game, you know, against the Cardinals, he pulled it out, but also Kyler Murray didn't play for half the game. So like he wasn't even going up against a, an elite quarterback. Um, like he will with Russell Wilson. Uh, so I, you know, as a Rams fan, I want them to go, to go well. I want it to go well, but, but it's tough to see right now. Uh, as of right now, I have the Seahawks winning 27 to 21. Alex, what do you think? Oof. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. Uh, Seahawks 21, Rams 17. Tyler? Rams 20, Seahawks 13. And Trayton. I got Seahawks 20, uh, Rams 16. Okay. Uh, moving on to our last NFC matchup here. We have the number four seeded Washington football team at seven and nine, hosting the number five seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 11 and five. If that's weird to you, it's because divisions matter in football. <laughs> Sorry, Trade. Um, the Washington football team is led by Alex Smith. This entire year at the quarterback position, it was weird. They start off with Dwayne Haskins and then Dwayne Haskins through a combination of poor play, terrible decision-making and just bad attitude was benched and then later cut Smith. On the other hand, greatest comeback story of all time in the NFL. If I do say so myself, he appeared and later started in his first games and completely turned around this offense. He started in seven games and won five of them on the season. The Washington football team's offense is trash. They're ranked second to last in yards per game with 317 and third to last in points at 20.9. The Buccaneers offense, on the, on the other hand, I don't really know where to begin. They're pretty much stacked everywhere. It's pretty much a fantasy team if you think about it. I mean, they're led by Tom Brady, possibly the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. It hasn't been decided yet. But the dude put up a stellar season, even though a lot of people are saying he's washed. 
he had 4,633 yards with 40 touchdowns. Uh, he has not one, not two, but three pro bowl, cal- pro bowl caliber wide receivers in Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown. Currently, Mike Evans, who has 1,000 yards and 13 touchdowns, is questionable, but it's looking like he might play this week. Um, on the running back side of the ball, they have Ronald Jones, super explosive, young, and then they have a former All-Pro and Leonard Fournette. On the defensive side, Washington is good, surprisingly, because the year before last, he was they were terrible. They were last in the league everywhere. Um, right now, they're top three defense in the NFC. They've allowed the second fewest yards per game at 300 point, 304 and the second fewest points per game at 20.6. The big reason that's happening is because of Chase Young. The guy has 7.5 sacks in the year, and he's also pressing the quarterback constantly. Um, the Rams, on the other hand, probably Bucks. the be- or not the Rams, the Bucks. Uh, they're top five in the NFC in terms of defense, allowing 327 yards per game and fourth in points allowed with 22. Uh, the defense is led by two super long, athletic, and rangy defenders or linebackers in Devin White and Levante David. Devin White had 140 tackles when he missed the game. I think he led the league in tackles, which is crazy. Alex, you in first. Why is the football team going to win? I mean, realistically, they shouldn't be here. They probably shouldn't win. Um, And I don't know if they actually will. But I do think that defense can hold up against the Bucs for a time. I don't know if they'll hold up all game. But it would not surprise me if at halftime this game was a lot closer than people would think. I just, you know, eventually that star power, you know, this is a young team too. None other than like Alex Smith, really none of them have been in the playoffs before. Um, I, ex, you know, I expect them to come out flying. Um, will they win? Probably not, but I expect Chase Young to at least disrupt Tom Brady a little bit. And you never know. Tom Brady was really disappointing in his last play, last playoff start. Just putting that out there. It could be <laughs> cold in DC. Well, you never know. Trading. Why is Alex wrong and why are the Bucs going to win? Yeah, well, you know, if you needed more reason to hate Tom Brady, who, the man who has everything, he's just been handed probably the easiest, weakest playoff playoff game in probably recent history. I mean, the guy has everything, and now he has this to deal with. I mean, th- I will say that the Washington football team defense is something – it's nothing to shake your head about. They are incredible. They've been nothing short of incredible and kind of the, the big – the only highlight of that entire squad – um, that said, I think Chase Young being a little bit yappy after the, after the, his last uh, week 17 game, I, I'm not going to say that it's going to completely bite him in the ass, but why give a Tom Brady even more reason to kick your ass? I mean, you, you're a rookie. You got to keep it down the down low. You have nothing to prove yet. You, are, you have a lot to prove still. Excuse me. Tom, I mean, Tampa Bay averaged 37 points per game and four straight wins to close out the season. And that's pretty, and a pretty remarkable stretch for Tom Brady alone. I mean, like you said, the lineup is, is, is incredible. Their defense is definitely not doing too hot right now. They're kind of on the, on, in a weird place right now, but they're also playing the one of the worst offenses in the league. So I don't think that's a huge issue. I don't, I think this is going to be a blowout unfortunately. And as much as I would love to see, you know, uh, the story of the Washington football team continue, you're facing a, a, you know, a offensive core that is just, ungodly it's just godly but alex yeah uh no not really uh i don't i i mean you're yeah everything you said is pretty spot on you know i think 
it's, it's going to be a miracle, but you never know. Crazy never things know. have happened. I personally really, really want to see the Washington football team succeed and win the Super Bowl. Very unlike there's like a 0.0001% chance it happens, but I'm still hoping. Uh, my prediction for this game is the Buccaneers 38, Washington football team 17. Traden, what do you have? I have a 30 to 13 game for uh, the Buccaneers. Tyler? 31 to 20 bucks. And Alex? Uh, 35, 21 bucks. Oh. Yeah. Paint sweep. Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that covers NFC. So we're moving on to the AFC here. Uh, the number two seeded Buffalo Bills at 13 and three will host the number seven seeded Indianapolis Colts at 11 and five. The Bills offense, absolutely electric this year. They only trailed the Kansas City Chiefs in yards per game with 396, and they led the entire AFC in points with 31.3. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, that's a special chemistry right there. Uh, Stephon Diggs led the league in receptions and yards this year. Crazy. Josh Allen had a huge improvement from the last year. I think last year he had completed 58% of his passes. This year, he's completed 69.2%. And he's passed for 4,544 yards and 37 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He also added 421 yards rushing with eight rushing touchdowns. Crazy. The Colts, on the other hand, have a pretty sporadic offense. They're doing this weird thing where they run to get the lead and then pass once they have the lead when it really shouldn't be the other way around. But Frank Reich, I don't know, man. That's just how it rolls. And they've 11-5 in the mid playoffs, so maybe it's working. Will they work in the playoffs? I don't know. Rookie Jonathan Taylor is as good as advertised. This guy's been crazy behind this really, really good Colts offensive line. On the season, he's racked up 1,169 yards and 11 touchdowns. The biggest question mark for the Colts offense is their wide receiving core right now and, of course, Phil Rivers. But outside of T.Y. Hilton, you don't really have much experience for any of the wide receivers. Uh, on the defensive side, the Bills have a pretty solid defense. I mean, they don't do anything flashy. They don't stick out, but they do their job, and they do it every single game. They're led by Jordan Poyer with 124 tackles and physical linebacker Tremaine Edmonds with 119 tackles. Tredavious White, like, he got a huge contract this year because of the shutdown corner. He has three interceptions on the year. On the flip side, the Colts are led by Darius Leonard, who could possibly be one of the best linebackers in this league. He had 132 tackles, and also the acquisition of DeForest Buckner from the Niners offseason has helped this defense tremendously. Alex, why are the Bills going to win? <laughs> yeah, I've been on the Bills hype train all year. Um, you know, if anyone's listened to this podcast, you've heard that. Josh Allen was on both of my fantasy football teams this year. Um, you know, the Bills, they feel like, uh, you know, a young team, but they were in the playoffs last year and they lost a heartbreaker to the Texans. So they have some experience. I just think their offensive firepower is too much for this Colts team, but I do think this is going to be a much closer game than any of those uh, Buffalo Bills fans up there in, uh, you know, upper Western New York or wherever Buffalo is like, will be pleased with. Um, I just, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, too good. They're just going to overpower the Colts defense. Traded. Why is Alex wrong and why are the Colts going to win? Yeah. So this is the most important game for me because this is my Super Bowl pick here. <laughs> and, and, and considering that this is the opponent they have to start with, I am extremely nervous. Um, the, I mean, the, the Colts averaged 28.2 uh, points per game this season. That's ranking ninth in the NFL, which is surprising considering you have freaking Phillip Rivers as your quarterback. Uh, but I guess a lot of that comes from, from Taylor, you know, on the ground. Um, 
you know, offensively, they've topped 100 yards, you know, topped 100 yards on the fat, uh, five times on the ground this year. So obviously they, they have some some ground game that they could they could utilize. And in my opinion, establishing a ground game early is really your key to success among a strong defense. That that's how the playoffs work. Unfortunately, even, even, even though we're still flinging the balls like crazy in these days, the ground game is kind of what wins games at the end of the day. Also, if anyone remember Josh Allen melted down in the postseason last year, I mean, he went 52.2% completion for 264 yards, zero touchdowns. QB rating was 69.5. He also did this like weird, like fumble thing where like threw the ball out when he got tackled. Like it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, so I'm not saying he's not good because he's incredible. He had an incredible season, but we have to see how his postseason goes. And, and so if he gets any jitters, you know, watch out. And I know this is a bit of a stretch here, but you know, coach Frank Reich has an ability to bring teams to the end. He did it with the Eagles, Tyler. Um, he made Carson Wentz look like a franchise player and now he's nothing ever since he left. Um, he made Nick Foles a Super Bowl champion and now he's, backing up Mitch Trubisky, who is a it's Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> and he's helped the Colts make it to the postseason twice in the last three seasons. So, and that's with Phillip Rivers and one of them. Like, I'm, I, I'm not saying that he's the end all be all, but he has to have some sort of, um, you know, some sort of help or some sort of, you know, support there. Um, maybe he has some rabbits in some hats and he can pull out, pull out a win. No, those are facts right there. That was solid trading. Uh, Alex, got anything to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, what what Traden is saying is 100% real. I just think Josh Allen has taken his game two steps up this year compared to last year. I don't think he's going to have those jitters in the playoffs. Um, they get to play at home this year, which is helpful as well. I mean, I know there's not – I think there might be some fans there. If it is, it's minimal. But playing at home has got to be nice. Um, it's Phillip Rivers. The game's going to be close, and he's going to throw a pick in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's what he does. That's how it's going to end. Yeah. Yeah. I have the Bills winning 31 and the Colts having 24. Alex, what do you think? Uh, Bills 45, <laughs> Colts 38. It's no be defense that game, apparently. No, no defense the defense all. is out the window. <laughs> wow. They dropped <laughs> 38 on the Dolphins last week or whatever it was. That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, I'm going to go 35-31 Bills. I think it's going to be one of the best matchups in the first round. And trade. Um, I see 31 and 28 for the Colts. Although I will say these scores are a lot closer than anyone predicts. I mean, so I'm very happy that you guys are seeing what, you know, I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to the next game here, we have the number three seeded Pittsburgh Steelers at 12 and four versus the number six seeded Cleveland Browns at 11 and five. The Steelers offense is hot and cold. They've completely changed up their scheme from throwing it deep with Big Ben, just bombing, bomb, like throwing balls to these short little passing routes, allowing the wide receivers and playmakers to make run after the catch yards. And it's not really working. Big Ben this season has been eh. Like, he's been okay, but he's also thrown not so well. Deontay Johnson leads the Steelers in receiving, but he has also the most amount of drops. Uh, Chase Claypool, standout rookie, has 873 yards in the season with nine touchdowns. And TikTok star Juju Smith-Schuster has Almost 100 receptions and nine touchdowns. The Browns, on the other hand, this is a weird situation because I don't know if you guys know, but a lot of these guys went on COVID. Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, COVID list. A pro goal, pro bowl guard, COVID list. And they're still doing contact tracing. There's a wide receiver on the COVID list, so there could be a possibility that the majority of wide receivers are out again. I mean, the linemen are always close to each other. They could be out. 
two other coaches could be out. So this is this is going to be a weird game to project because I just don't know who's in and who's out. As of right now, the special team coordinator is going to be the head coach or acting head coach for this game. So we'll just we'll try to figure out how that works. But if the only people who are out are Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio and wide receiver called Caldera Hodge, they still have a pretty good team. I mean, <laughs> Baker Mayfield's doing solid this year. He's a good little game manager. He does what he needs to do. And honestly, just rely on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I mean, Nick Chubb this year, 1,067 yards, 12 touchdowns. Kareem Hunt, 841 yards, six touchdowns. They're doing what needs to be done to get this team to W. On the defensive side, the Steelers, they've been good for a couple of years now, and you see it all the time. They shut people down. T.J. Watt leads the NFL in sacks to the 15. The Browns defense is around the middle of the pack, and like I said, I don't know if people are going to be out on the defensive side too. Um, but Miles Garrett leads is the leader of that defense with 12 sacks. Tyler, why are the Steelers going to win? Yeah, the Steelers definitely did not look good finishing out this season. Lost four of their last five games. Um, but at one time, this team was the one of the best teams in football, 11-0. and 0. Um, They still got a little bit that, of that left in them. As you mentioned, the whole thing with COVID on the Brown side of the ball definitely is going to be very interesting to play out this, this week to see what happens with that. Um, so offensively, they're an absolute train wreck. They're a mess. Um, but Mike Tomlin is a, is, is a, is a smart head coach. He's, he's won it all before. Um, I think he's going to figure out a way to beat this, this Browns team um, just with the experience that they have, you know, whether it's big Ben or whoever else it is, you know, I think they have, they have experience on their side. And I think their defense is good enough to, to beat this, this Browns team. Jaden, why is Tyler wrong and why the Browns win? Oh man, this is tough. <laughs> Um, I first, <laughs> I first want to apologize. Guy. I first want to apologize to Baker Mayfield. I don't know if you listened to me, but I, it sounded like you did and, and you <laughs> definitely improved. You made strides this year and I, and I'm impressed. You went, you went for over 3,500 yards, 26 touchdowns, um, and 12 turnovers with eight interceptions. That's a huge improvement over the 21 we saw last year. You know, that, that that's why you're, you've made it. This is the first time that the Browns have made it to the postseason in 20 years which is why I'm going to say that they are probably one of the most unlucky, if not the most unlucky team in the NFL. And the reason why is because it's taken them 20 years to finally get to the postseason. They lose their head coach. They lose a, uh, an offensive lineman, their top offensive lineman. It's all breaking down in front of them. So, I mean, it's literally going to be all about, you know, the, the ground game, Nick Chubb, my crush, my fantasy crush, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. You are, you, you were nothing but a godsend for me this year and you've been nothing but a godsend for the Browns. And it's such a, such a pleasure watching him play. Um, and I think we should see a defensive breakout from miles Garrett. Um, this is his first postseason outing. Um, he finished the season with 48 tackles and 12 sacks and he went on a tear way early. I mean, he was kind of in the running for the top defensive player of the year, kind of went through a little weirdness in the middle of the season, but he needs to pressure Ben. Ben does not like pressure. He does not, he breaks under pressure and you, and if they can do that, they can stop the ball from, from being moved. And I, I think they may, they may be able to squeak out, squeak out a game, but guess what? They beat the JV team by like two points, like a few days ago. Now they're going to play the varsity. Like I'm worried. I'm really worried. <laughs> Tyler, you have a rebuttal? Yeah. So this, this Steelers team ranks in the bottom third in rushing offense. Um, they're actually the worst playoff team. Uh, rushing wise since the 2003 Patriots 
But oh wait, that 2003 Patriots team won the Super Bowl. In fact, there have been four teams who ranked in the bottom third of the league that have won Super Bowls in rushing offense. Those are the 2003 Patriots, as I said, the 2010 Packers, the 2011 Giants, and the 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow. It happened, people. Wow. Wow. That was, that was a great setup. That was – good job, Tyler. Boom. Yep. <laughs> Roasted. Um, <laughs> got him. I have the Steelers winning 27-10. to 10. Jaden, what do you think? Guys, 26 Browns, 24 Steelers. Oh. Tyler? Uh, 28 Steelers, 16 Browns. And Alex. Trade 27 Browns, Steelers 24. Oh, oh there we go, man. Oh, this, this is going to be 50, interesting. 50. Be one, they're going to gonna score one more point. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Moving on to the last game of the playoff slate here, the wildcard weekend, is the number four seeded Tennessee Titans at 11-5 and five versus the number five seeded Baltimore Ravens, also at 11-5. and five. So contrary to popular belief, the Titans' offense is extremely well-rounded and versatile. I mean, don't get me wrong. Derrick Henry's a monster. The dude put up 2,000 yards and 17 touchdowns this year. But Tannehill can do his job. Tannehill throws well, he finds open receivers, and he does it often. Uh, A.J. Brown, wide receiver, he missed a couple games this season due to injury, but he still managed to pull down 70 receptions for 1,075 yards and 11 touchdowns. And in a contract year, fifth, former fifth overall pick, Corey Davis, showed why he's worth the money. For 65 receptions, 984 yards, and five touchdowns. For the Ravens, this 2020 edition was not as good as last year's. There was a lot of expectation placed upon them. Alex thought they were going to go 15 and one. Yep. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were supposed to be the best team. They were supposed to, offensively, they were supposed to run away with it. Like nobody was, should have been able to defend Lamar Jackson. But either the defensive coordinators figure out Lamar Jackson or Lamar Jackson regressed into a lesser version of himself. Either or, it didn't cut it. Hollywood Brown didn't have the year he wanted. And J.K. Dobbins, well, actually, he was a breakout. He did really well. He broke out of that three-headed monster and become the lead back. Mark Ingram played really well last year. He, he's a healthy scratch every game now because J.K. Dobbins is that good. On the defensive side, Times ranked number 14 in the AFC in yards given up per game with 398, which is pretty close to last. And 11th in points given up with 27.4. Uh, the leading tackler for the Tennessee Titans is Kevin Byard. He has 111 tackles and one touchdown. And Malcolm Butler, the former Super Bowl hero, has 100 tackles and four interceptions. Uh, for the Ravens, this is always, 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 they've always been a really great defensive unit, and this year was no different. They post really good overall numbers. They allow the second fewest amount of rest yards per game at 100.8, and the second fewest pass yards at 221. So they're the, first, they're the second overall defense in the AFC. They're actually led by a rookie for the linebacking core. That's Patrick Queen. He lived up to all the hype as he led the team in tackles with 106. Traden, why are the Titans going to win? Well, piggybacking off what I said, although flipping it a little bit. So I did say that a strong running game is necessary to, to you know, succeed in the playoffs, but I think that we actually have two extremely strong running games here. So it's going to become it's going to come down to passing now. Uh, it's going to be who can advance the ball through the air and move the chains, convert third downs. That's the key. And Tannehill almost threw for 4,000 4, yards this year with 33 touchdowns and a completion percentage of 65.5. Ryan Tannehill, like that's, that's not a, it's not necessarily a household name. Everybody knows him, but it's not a, it's not a Mahomes. It's not a Drew Brees or Tom Brady. That's a, that's a, it's, you know, it's not a huge household name. Derrick Henry is going to, will be considered the main guy. I mean, he's literally a, 
human freight train. Um, and, but I think the throwing game is going to be key. Um, and I, and I just have a question for the, for the Ravens is can Lamar throw his way to a win? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not a good thrower because he is, he's, you know, above a 50% completion rate, um, throughout the season, um, 200 yards in multiple games, 26 touchdowns, but he's fallen fat in the postseason. He's played two games for a total of, um, I'm sorry. He's played two games in the playoffs. Both were losses and he only managed just barely above 50% in, um, in a couple of them for three touchdowns and three interceptions. That's not like huge. That's not really substantial. And his QB rating was below 70. So, you know, he's going to be able to run, but both teams are going to be able to run. So you can't really say that, you know, anybody has an edge necessarily in that besides the fact that, that Lamar Jackson is so dynamic that he, you don't know what you're going to get each play, but I think the league has learned one thing. And if the, if the Titans do this, they can win and at stop Lamar Jackson and you can win the game. Tyler, why is Jaden wrong and why will the Ravens win? Yeah, so I think on paper and in recent history, I think the Titans have the upper hand in this matchup. But here's what the Ravens have. The Ravens have motivation. Okay, last year they lost to this Titans team in the playoffs. They lost to them in week 11 in which the, the Titans were dancing on their logo. Um, they've got some beef with this team. And third time's a charm. I think this team's going to come out firing. I think they're going to have a, a lot of motivation to come out and whip these Titans' ass. And they're going to do it. Okay. I mean, this Titans team, yes, offensively, very, very good. Defensively, they're all right. 19th ranked rushing, 29th ranked in passing. I think that's, Lamar, right. that's terrible. That's, that's horrible. You're right. That is horrible. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, Lamar Jackson, I think, will get rid of his playoff demons and you'll play his best game of the season. And the defense will do their job and get this win. Uh, Ravens over Titans. Jaden, do you have a rebuttal? Yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens are dead last in passing yards this year. So if it goes back to the passing game, I don't know if I'm necessarily as comfortable with Lamar Jackson as I am Tannehill. But I, he do, it's not like he can't throw, but I just don't know if he, if he can beat Tannehill. Uh, I'm going to go on record and say that this is going to be the shortest playoff game in NFL history. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a strong running game. It's, <laughs> the clock is just never going to stop. Um, I think the Ravens will win this one, though. I think the Ravens go 35 and the Titans go 31. Alex, what do you think? You know what? Justin Tucker, walk off field goal. Best kicker in the league, 35-32 Ravens. Ooh. Tyler? 37-34 Ravens. And Trayton? I see 27-21 for the Titans. Ooh. Okay. And that, uh, that just about wraps up my section. hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you very much. James, great job as always. Either way. We have six playoff football games this weekend. It's going to be great. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Traden is going over the next division in the NHL. Uh, we'll, we'll be back in just a second. All right, boys, we are back. You know what else is coming on its way back? Hockey. Trayden, you're a hockey guy. Let's hear it. All right. Just like last week, we're going to move on to the uh, the Central Division. But before I start, I do want to say that we are in the middle of the third period of the World Junior Tournament, the gold medal game between the U.S. Um, the U.S. and Canada. Canada is winning 2-0 currently. USA's um, hopefully they can continue USA is that. definitely winning 2-0. I'm sorry, you watching? USA is winning 2-0, excuse me. <laughs> Trains living in a parallel universe. I'm yeah. living in a different universe. Yeah. Um, 
Canada guys. Also, also, we didn't get these names for all the NHL divisions until after last week. So um, the division names are as follows. We have the Scotia NHL North Division, which consists of all the Canadian teams. We have the Honda West Division. We have the Mass Mutual East Division, which we um, talked about last week. And this week, we are going to be talking about the Discover Card NHL Central Division. Um, that Those teams include the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Dallas Stars, Columbus Blue Jackets, Nashville Predators, the Florida Panthers, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Detroit Red Wings. So I'm going to start just like last time on rank, give you guys my ranks in order, starting with the Tampa Bay Lightning. In 2019-2020 season, they finished the regular season with a 42-21-6 record for 92 points in 70 games. They scored well above average goals for and defended better than, than the league average as well. Uh, they maintained better special team stats in, in both categories, and this brought them excellent success in the bubble where they took the entire competition series after series and they became the Stanley cup champions. They seem unbeatable at this, at that rate. Um, my outlook for 2021 going back, to, um, going back to back in the NHL is incredible, dif incredibly difficult, especially during the hard cap era. And we just found out before Christmas that it won't get any easier as Nikita Kucherov is out for the regular season. He instead will be replaced by captain Steven Stamkos as he comes off his injury that kept him out of the bubble, except for that one, or that couple shifts where he scored in the, uh, in, in the finals, which was pretty amazing. Um, so I guess as far as replacements go, the lightning could do a lot worse than Steven Stamkos. Um, you know, he puts up a point you know, per game on average in his career. Um, he's, he's breached hundred points in 2019. I mean, even before he got injured or he was on pace anyway. Um, the team has incredible depth as we saw in the bubble. Um, Braden point has become a huge part of this team and they have Andre Palat, Anthony Sorelli, who plays solid two-way play. And finally, they have one of the best, if not the best defenseman on the planet in Victor Hedman, who continues to be their go-to guy year after year. And they have their elite goaltending in Andre Vasilevsky. This team, if you want to talk about fantasy teams, James, this is a fantasy team. They are flawless from beginning to end. They are what every team should strive to be. And I said that on this podcast, uh, um, you know, back in the bubble, they've added nobody and they've only subtracted Nikita Kucherov, which is crazy because everyone at the end thought that they would have to completely blow up the roster, but then they were able to bring Nikita Kucherov onto LITR, giving all that cap space available for the team to keep the team together. So I'm not saying that they, you know, push Nikita Kucherov off a bridge, but you know, if the fact that he got hurt is not necessarily terrible for the makeup of the team. Um, my players to watch are Steven Stamkos and Braden Point. Steven Stamkos, you know, all eyes will be on the captain as he makes his way back into the league. As mentioned, he's an elite goal scorer and playmaker in, in this league. Um, though the offense doesn't revolve around Stamkos anymore, he's still a huge part of the team. And how he takes place of Kucherov this season could determine the success for the, of the Lightning in their, um, in their attempt for a repeat. And Braden Point, this third round pick is slowly becoming one of the best players in the league. And actually, I sit here today and I really am upset by me not putting Braden Point in my in my top, you know, 20 or 25 um, NHL players. I sit here and I completely blanked on him, which is crazy. He's still underrated, clearly, um, just based on his ability to score and bring up his line. Um, and his performance in the playoffs has been nothing short of amazing. So look to him to continue his greatness. So, Alex, I have a question for you. Yes. Does the absence of Kucherov affect your view on the Tampa Bay Lightning status as a clear Stanley Cup contender? Are you worried about this team this season without that Russian star forward? I mean, they're still they are still a cup contender for sure. 
and you pretty much nailed it. They lose Kucherov and they gain Steven Stamkos. Like, how lucky are they that that's just how that works? You know, um, Stamkos. It will be interesting to see because he did. He only played for you know a couple minutes during the bubble. He really and then he uh, you know re-injured himself. So he, he's hasn't played a lot of competitive hockey in a really long time at this point. So I do think it's going to take Stamkos just a little bit to kind of get his legs back underneath him. But he is an elite talent in this league. Um, I'm not too worried about the Lightning. I think that the way that the uh, these new divisions worked out, they kind of lucked out a little bit. Um, I would say this is a little bit easier of a division compared to the East like we did last week. So, um, no, I expect the Lightning to uh, thrive even without Kucherov. Um, they're still going to be great. I, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, this may, Like I said, this is the most well-constructed team in the National Hockey League. Um, you know, all the way down the lineup – each line ranks in the top 10, which no other, you know, we're, you know, their, their fourth line is one of the top 10 fourth lines in the league. And they have that all the way up the lineup. It's crazy. Um, there was a time where, you know, we thought this whole time we would be dismantled, but it did, but it wasn't. Um, so, you know, with the depth alone, I think that they're going to be clear winners of the division and um, you know, definitely um, cup contenders coming in. Number two, I have the Dallas stars. Um, the Dallas stars went 37, 24 and eight, to place third in the central division and fourth in the Western conference, giving them the last buy of the bubble, meaning they, they didn't have to play the qualifier they, uh, Dallas faced some adversity early on dropping many games in the beginning of season. They faced the shocking dismissal of Jim Montgomery in December, 2019. And they had to f- face the challenges of transitioning to the new coach, Rick bonus. Despite all those trials and tribulations, Dallas finished third in the central, took care of the flames avalanche and golden Knights in the bubble um, and made their way up to the Stanley Cup final where they lost in, you know, it was, it, it was very close. I mean, they, they definitely gave them a fight. Um, last year, the, the Dallas Stars ranked second in defense with just 2.52 goals against per game, which really is, which is really where they really shine. Offensively, however, only the Columbus Blue Jackets were inferior offensively um, among the 24 postseason cl- clubs that went to the bubble, posting only a 2.58 goals per game. That's 26 in the entire league. Despite all of the offensive challenges, they did manage to complete clearly superior teams in the bubble. And, you know, I, I can, I expect that offense defense to continue. Um, but my outlook offensively, there are no major changes that would pose improvement on the goal scoring side. Tyler Sagan um, will see an extended absence, which is a major problem for the stars in my opinion. And he's bar none, the top offensive player on the team. They do have some depth, but those depth individuals will need to have major contributions to replace that loss of production. Defensively, I have no major worries. I mean, they rank 11th in terms of scoring chances against the emergence of John Klingberg and Essa Lindell on the back end are top tier pairings. Jamie Alexiak on the second tier pairing with Miro Heiskanen is like, that's another elite pairing. Um, Goaltending wise, Dallas has seen amazing stats from Ben Bishop and 1B backup Anton Hudobin, as we saw in the postseason. However, we may not see the top two goaltenders suit up for the team as Ben Bishop is still facing injury and Anton Hudobin is facing some immigration issues currently, but those might, that should, should be ironed out um, shortly, that is my guess. Um, they, they only um, added Mark Pissick really on the defensive side. There's no major subtractions besides Ben and Sagan temporarily. Um, uh, players to watch, I have Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben is very much an elite talent in this league. But offensively, he's seen major regressions um, since his huge breakout in 2015 and 2016. He has been publicly criticized by management and ownership of the Dallas Stars, but nonetheless has been a very good leader for the team and, and that, that just made it to the Stanley Cup final. But all eyes will be on him to bring his team up and fill that, that gap 
offensively. And then Anton Hudobin. I mean, Hudobin will be looked at to continue his strong success from the postseason as Ben Bishop continuously heals from his injuries. He'll be playing more games without Ben Bishop, so he's going to take on more of the load this season. And I wonder if that's going to hurt his ability to perform at elite level. Um, and he, But he's just going to have to continue to be stellar, um, and everyone will be watching that. So, James, you love this team in the bubble. I know you love them now. They're like your second favorite team in the league. Um, and I asked you this question last season regarding the offense of this team. Um, are you worried about the offensive abilities without the likes of Tyler Sagan? Um, can this team make it to the Western Conference final without offensive breakouts from certain individuals? So Tyler Sagan, labor issue. Last report I read said he's out till April, possibly. That's a lot of time, a lot of games without him. Um, the Stars typically play this physical, gunned out, defensive-minded game plan, like you mentioned earlier. But in the bubble, they showed us that they can score in bunches too and get up there. And I think they scored like what they had a game with six goals. That's mm-hmm. pretty crazy for a team that is defense. Six goals is big. In the bubble, Sagan did not play well. He, I think, he had like three points overall in the bubble, and they did relatively well. That being said, just be like you can't. He did way more for this team than just score goals or provide points. He's a leader. He tells them where to go. He runs the right play like he goes to where he's supposed to be to open up lanes he could have been a decoy a lot of the time and it, it just you just it doesn't show up on the stat sheet but he was a factor other players felt stepped up big time in terms of scoring but without Tyler saying it's to be hard to replicate that same success but you've seen this before joe pavelski he was a top line center with the sharks for a long time and he scored 13 goals in the bubble like he can, he shows, he, he has done it before that he can be a top line center and have that same point production. Not the same as Tyler Sagan, but it's something. Mm-hmm. And also Miro Heiskanen on the defensive end, like he scores goals too. He scores a lot of points. He's only a third year player. He's going to his third year and he's only gotten better. In 30, in 35 games or 68 games last year, he scored 35 points. The year before that, I think he had 30 points. So he's going up every single year. And you, this year, you're probably going to do the same thing. Um, at the end of the day, though, if they can't find anybody who can fill that void or step up offensively, I don't know if they make it to the Western Conference Finals. You can't win a game with zero goals. You can play the best defense in the world and make the game go forever, but if you don't score once, you're not going to win. And the NHL is full of top-tier talent. You need to be well-rounded to find success and move forward. Somebody needs to step up. If nobody steps up, then stars aren't going anywhere. Damn, that was that was an epic answer. Um, the Dallas Stars are lucky enough to have a division that is also weaker than we've ever seen it. Nashville and Winnipeg are shadow of their former selves. They will benefit from this fact, and I don't expect them to place any further than third place this season in the division, although their offensive um, abilities pose large concerns for me, as I mentioned. Um, they have elite, elite goaltending and defense, but if you can't, again, like to your point, James, if you can't push the puck in the net, your ability to win games is very limited. Um, I expect a second place finish here um, with breakout seasons. Um, I, but I do ex- without breakout seasons, I expect quick elimination in the playoffs unless Tyler Sagan returns strong. Um, t- great job, James down. Um, number three, we have the Carolina hurricanes. Um, Carolina ended 38, 25 and five last season, which netted them fourth in the Metro division and sixth in the Eastern conference. While they continue to impress season after season. And despite disposing the Rangers in the qualifying round, 
Um, they faced the powerhouse Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference quarterfinal and lost in five games. Um, interestingly, the team on paper appears to be top heavy with the likes of Sebastian Ajo, Tuvo Teravainen, and Andrei Smechnikov on the first line. However, the Kings finished 11th in the league and even checked in eighth on the power play, suggesting that their offense throughout the lineup is not terrible. Um, the Hurricanes defense is their calling card, and there are a few teams that are stingier than the Hurricanes. They ranked second in shots against, and only four teams allowed fewer scoring chances than the Canes. They are definitely one of the better defensive clubs. Goaltending wise, Peter Mrazek and James Reimer will split the duties like last year. Um, both had nice seasons, but underwhelmed relative to the contenders for the Stanley Cup. Oh, by the way, USA, congratulations. You won the gold medal. Uh, fuck you, Canada. Um, outlook for 2021 for the Hurricanes. Um, there were no major changes made to the roster, so I expect to see similar offensive numbers um, from mostly a top-heavy three-headed monster, but you will see some help from the, from the bottom from the bottom lines stout defense will keep them within games um, and beyond the top three offensive. We might see some, we might see, have an underrated roster of individuals chipping in goaltending will be my largest question mark. There's no solid starting goaltender, just a very, very competent tandem of backups. Um, Rob Brindamore has put together a more than competent defense, but goaltending will be their challenge. Um, I expect to see a resurgence from Vincent Trocek on the second line center position, which would be monumental. Um, they did add uh, Jesper Faust, but they lost Justin Williams to retirement. Um, I know that there are two guys on this podcast that absolutely love Justin Williams. I am included as well. Um, so we will miss him. Uh, players to watch Vincent Trocek. Vincent Trocek is a very solid center in the National Hockey League and seen his fair share of production in the past. However, he has seen some regression in later years, and that poses some concerns for me. Um, in terms of depth, um, he is a player to watch as a breakout season would spell wonders for the depth scoring and the ability for the Canes to compete not only in their vision, but not only in the division, but especially in the playoffs. And then Andre Sveshnikov. Svesh has had a very dominant season last year, finding himself on multiple highlight reels for not only one, but two um, look for, successful lacrosse style goals. Um, he has the ability to score on any given night and is always a joy to watch. Um, all eyes will be on him to continue his dominance on that top line. Tyler, my question for you, man. Do you see this team making the playoffs? And if so, will will they be able to get past the first round this time? Are you confident in this goaltending tandem or will they struggle to overcome this clear missing key to their team? Yeah, I think this Carolina Hurricanes team is definitely going to make the playoffs. Um, I think there's in this division, there's, there's two teams that are – I would say our locks, which would be Tampa Bay and Dallas. I think Carolina is pretty close to a lock in, in this division, considering everyone, everyone else. Um, certainly the, those last two spots are up for grabs. I think there's probably three or four teams that could get those last two spots, but I think Carolina is definitely uh, pretty close to, I would say a lock to get, to get a playoff spot. Um, they're young, they're talented, and they can compete, can compete with anybody. Like I said, I think, I think their depth is a little bit of concerns um, scoring wise. But, you know, that, that top line is very good and can compete with any line. Um, and as you mentioned, with their, with their goalies, yeah, it's a little bit of a weird situation. Like you said, they don't really have, like, the guy, the, like, you know, you, you know their number one goalie, but they have two very solid goalies. It worked for them okay last year. Um, and I see, like, I think they're going to keep doing it until there's a reason to change it, albeit an injury or maybe there's a trade that pops up that seems nice that they want to, you know, get, get rid of one of those guys that they can get something good in return. So something like that's going to have to happen for that to change. Obviously they're both free agents um, after this season. So that will probably after next season be different, but for this season, I see that kind of staying the same. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, for, for me, the, the hurricanes easy lock for the, for the postseason in terms of them winning a playoff series this, this season, I think that they will, I think they'll take a step up and they'll win a playoff series as long as they don't play the Boston Bruins because <laughs> the Boston Bruins have those guys numbers. So as, yeah. as, as long as they don't face the Bruins, the first round, I think the, the, the Carolina hurricanes will win a playoff series. Luckily, I think that the first round consists of just divisional play. So you're just going to con- you're oh, just yeah. going to play a series of the teams you just played eight times, which seems insane, <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I guess you'll know your competition, right? Yeah. Um, um, something that just came to my mind is the fact that you know, they have such a strong tandem that because there's so many back to backs, you can always rely on having a backup goaltender. So, you know, ha- either one you can throw out and you're going to have a solid outing. So um, I guess they have that. This is another team that I think benefits from a relatively weak division. I think this team is clearly the third best in the division. However, their contending ability is where I take pause. I greatly question their goaltending tandem tandem that was average at best, but clearly no starting goaltender has emerged. The defense the defense is strong and I don't but I don't think it's it's strong enough to overcome the obstacle. I also question depth scoring, so I have them getting third in the central, but I don't expect a long stretch in the playoffs. I would love to see them win a playoff series. I think that that is a huge step for that franchise. Um, There's just hasn't gone quite off the ground since they won the Stanley Cup against the Oilers in 2006, but we will move on after I say that. The number four, Colum- I have uh, getting in the playoffs are the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, they went 33, 22, and 15 for sixth in the Metro and ninth in the Eastern Conference. No one would have blamed you you know, last year at this time, if you expected a huge, I guess last year, you know, before the season, because the season's all weird, no one would have blamed you for expecting a huge regression um, after, you know, after they blew up their entire team, losing Sergei Gabrovsky, MVP candidate Artemi Panarin and productive center Matt Duchesne to the open market. Yet, even before the, the playoff bubble, um, the team was in the hunt for an actual true playoff spot. They were given the opportunity to play given the expanded format and their run came to an end in the first round, thanks to the hands of the eventual champion lightning. I mean, what better team to lose, but two offensively, the team took a dive and were the lowest scoring team to qualify in the playoffs, tying San Jose for 27th league wide in goals per game. But coach Tortorella utilizes a defensive infrastructure where the team enjoyed most of his success. The team managed to hold high octane, hold the high octane Maple Leafs to just 10 goals in their five game qualifying round in and of itself is amazing. Um, they allowed just 2.4 goals per game in those nine postseason against the Leafs and lightning. And that's pretty incredible stats right there. And 14th in scoring chances against for the season. Um, that's, that's pretty solid defense um, on the goaltending side Elvis Merzlikens and Jonas Corposalo took over the tending duties after Bobrovsky left and Merzlikens himself took the league by storm when, Cor- when Corposalo went down posting an electric 1.72 goals against average and near 95% or 95 um, save percentage in 10 January starts that is unbelievable for, for a rookie uh, at his age uh, my outlook for 2021, when you have a take no bullshit coach like John Torlorella behind the bench, you, you have a fighting chance. He's already won two Jack Adams and was, uh, and almost won it last year. Um, they may have lost Josh Anderson and his grit scoring, but they netted fast, talented Max Domi and improved the depth scoring with Miko Koivu from the Minnesota wild defensively. There have been no major changes. So expect another stingy defensive team um, led by none other than Seth Jones and Zach Orensky. Elvis Merzlikens will be another interesting part of the puzzle as this team t- aspires to make the playoffs in regular fashion this time. Um, I mentioned the additions and subtractions. Max Domi and Miku Kovi are the big notables there. 
my players to watch here is Max Domi. He's had some issues on teams in the past from a, from a coach perspective. Um, but this is his third team in four seasons. Um, Domi's offense touch returned to him during the last two seasons in Montreal. He scored 45 times and recorded 116 points in 153 games with the Habs. And he will be relied on to score at that second line center position. He's a good puck mover and creator in the offensive zone and could be the answer that Columbus needed down the middle. And then Seth Jones. Seth Jones is an absolute revelation for Columbus down, um, on the back end. He's the most underrated defenseman in the National Hockey League, is my, in my opinion. He's capable of playing an ungodly amount of minutes and is captain and is a captain of the team. So he not only shows his leadership on the ice, but also off the ice, presumably. I choose Seth players, uh, Seth Jones as a player to watch because he's going to strive to be a Norse Trophy winner, and he's coming off a strong postseason. I wouldn't expect anything less from him. So, Alex, my question for you, my guy. The Blue Jackets exceeded expectations last year despite the loss of key players the season before. How much do you think this weaker division helps this team, and do you think they cracked a top-four spot in this division? Yeah, you know, it seems to be a common theme is this, this weaker division is going to help some of these teams, and it's going to help the Blue Jackets as well. Um, I think Max Domi, having a coach like Torts, is going to be a revelation for him as well. I mean, Torts is not going to put up with any of his bullshit, and you know what, if he continues to act out or whatever issues he's had with coaches in the past, things are not going to go well. Um, and Torts won't, won't, won't take that. So it's, I'm expecting a much more mature Max Domi. And I think the fact that he's going to be trusted to be one of those kind of top scorers is going to be a good thing for him. Um, 100% agree with you about Seth Jones, unbelievably talented and underrated. Um, and that goaltending tandem will, I think will carry this team. They're both young guys. And I think they, We'll probably have a slight regression compared to last year. Um, I mean, they're probably not going to perform at that high of a level, but they're still going to be plenty good enough to get this Blue Jackets team into a playoff spot. Um, and yeah, you know, they're, it's going to come down to if they can score enough, but I think the Blue Jackets will make it. I love it. Um, my view, as mentioned, if you have torts behind the bench, you're in for success, in my opinion. I believe the emergence of Elvis Merzlikens in net, Seth Jones and Zach Orensky on the back end and the moves made on the forward side, including the sign, signing of Pierre-Luc Dubois in the offseason. I expect this team to fight for that fourth position um, in the division and continue to fight in the playoffs. I do not see them as a contender um, for the Stanley Cup, but I do think they're just a few pieces shy of beating a team like Tampa Bay or Boston, honestly. Uh, James, you had a question? Yeah, what do you think about the reports that Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out of this team because he does not like towards well, I, I don't. I guess I don't know what to think about it other than why did you sign a contract? I mean, I mean, you didn't. You didn't have to. You didn't have to continue playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets. You are a very elite player in this league, and you've shown it. And if you really had a problem, I think that there are other teams that could use your use your you know abilities. But you know, if that's the case, I guess I guess we'll see how it unfolds this season. But I I, I just find it interesting if you're going to willingly sign a contract with the team knowing that torts is going to be behind the bench you know you must not have that much of a problem with them unless you know i guess money talks but i can't imagine any other you know there's other teams that would that would need your need your ability so number five outside looking in the nashville predators uh the Nashville Predators finished 35-26-8, and eight, fifth in the Central and seventh in the Western Conference. After making a huge investment in Matt Duchesne and divestment from P.K. Subban, the Predators expected a strong season and instead had its, share, had its 
share of major pain. The Predators ended the season with a negative two goal differential that was second worst of seven central teams and nearly worst at, than the last place Chicago Blackhawks that made it to the, uh, that made it to the bubble, po- who posted a negative six themselves. The offensive, offensively, the Predators finished 16th in goals per, per game last season, hanging around teams like the Jets, the Blackhawks, and the Oilers. Um, they improved their power play, but f- but still finished 24th. Um, the Predators were once a team built on defense and goaltending, but those units were hit very hard as well this season. Um, the team finished 18th in goals against per game alongside the Canadians and Canucks. They ranked 17th in terms of scoring chances against. Lastly, goaltending was a major inconsistency. Pecorine and UC Saros had just rough seasons last year. Um, my outlook for 2021, with as much expectations as they had going in and failing, you'd expect them to make changes, but they didn't make very many changes. <laughs> the depth chart offensively may even look thinner than it did last year. Um, they lost Craig Smith, one of the top goal scorers last year. I don't even, I didn't even know who really that was, and he's a top scorer. Um, they did gain back Michael Granlin and Eric Halla, and I, but I don't know if they're going to bring enough spark offensively. Their top two scorers were Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi. Roman Yossi is a defenseman. I mean, that says a lot about your team. Um, Pecorine's postseason blunders and last season debacle puts a large question mark on the goaltending ability for this team as well. Um, players to watch. I have Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne is a player that was once considered a major elite talent in this league, but has had a, dis- has had a dismal season relative to his $8 million cap hit. The Predators are the latest team to make a big investment on Duchesne, and he hasn't returned on that investment at all. There will be pressure on him to respond to the criticism he's faced in the last couple of seasons. And John Hines. I'm actually going to pick a coach. Um, John Hines was a midseason hire from the bench, uh, bench boss from the New Jersey Devils. Um, Hines and was, relatively, was a relatively quick hire after the dismissal of Peter, Peter Laviolette. It seems as if the Predators were in a rush to make this hire. Um and that opened up some question marks. Um, and while it may be unfair to kind of judge a coach, you know, by their, you know, taking over a team midseason, we did see Rick Bonus do it in Dallas, and he did was very successful. So I, I want to, I, I want to give John Hines a full season and see what he can do with this squad. But James, I know you like this team. Um, are we going to see a reversal of production and efficiency from all three parts of the squad, you know, offense, defense, and goaltending was last year a fluke or did the predators door for the Stanley cup contention already slam shut? Do you expect them to be in the Stanley cup playoffs? So I'm going to answer the first part of your question. First um, I do see, think I do think there's going to be a complete shift in the way they're producing right now. I think last year was a fluke. Um, I think the main thing here is a new coach, like you said, in John Hines. Peter Laviolette was a coach in Nashville for a very long, long, long time. And sometimes that voice gets overheard. Mm-hmm. You hear it way too much. Yeah. And then you just start ignoring it. Like, do you guys ever have a teacher? Like, you don't get something and they explain it over and over again. You still don't get it. But your friend says something a little bit different and all of a sudden it makes sense. Yeah. That's the same thing I'm seeing here. John Hines can be that new voice, different perspective. I mean, they could pretty much be saying the same things, but maybe he has a little different twist on it that just resonates more with the guys. And that's all it takes. Just that little twist, that little different perspective is all it takes to rejuvenate people. They can play better and they can play for you. Um, historically, you said that they didn't really like add anybody. Historically, they're a good team. And historically, they have a really good core group of players. Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg, and Ryan Ellis, they're producers. They do well. They've done well for a very long time. Um, 
And I think Matt Duchesne just needed a year to kind of gain chemistry and get in with the guys and learn the system. He had a different coach halfway through the year. It's, there's a lot of chaos going on there. New team, new coach halfway through the year. It's hard to gain trust. It's hard to feel comfortable in that situation. But I think now being able to settle in to that city, get his place, get to know the guys a little better, get to know his coach who is instituting that system, it's going to make him feel more comfortable, and comfortability is key. Uh, that's going to go to the same with the um, goaltending here. Pet Green and Yusei Saros. Saros ended up taking the reins towards the end of the season there. And I think giving more confidence to Saros over Pet Green. Pet Green has been great for a long time, but he's getting old. But uh, putting all the confidence towards Saros will give him that boost in confidence and morale as well. Have, when people have confidence in you, when people believe in you, you play better. And that's what's going to happen here. If he gets put out there as a number one goaltender, he's going to play like a number one goaltender. And I think that's going to help him. Um, I don't see them going to the cup, but I expect them to be fourth in the division. So I'd be right in that spot right there. I don't really see him going anywhere past the first round, though. Oh, but you have him going to the playoffs. That's better than – it's, you know, a true playoffs. I like that. Um, you know, what was once the most scary team in the National Hockey League has become a shadow of its former self, in my opinion. Um, the lack of major additions to the squad does give me pause. And you're in a division of very hungry young teams – that are, that are, you know, that can win. Um, and you know, that, ha- that saw progression last year, unlike your team that regressed, um, depth scoring to me is unreliable. The, you know, the one strong defensive core is starting to weaken outside of Roman Yossi, who is absolutely amazing. I'm not, I'm not going to dig this guy. I absolutely love Roman Yossi. Uh, and the goaltending is my largest question mark of all the regression on defense and goaltending will be their undoing, I think. And, um, and I, but I do hope I do see some improvement down the stretch. I just don't expect them to see a crack a playoff spot, but I, James, I hope you're right. Um, but I, I just don't see it at this point. It's kind of a show me thing. Um, also my issue with John Hines is the fact that you, you hired from New Jersey devils who he, he hasn't really shown anything there, but Hey, they, you know, that's why I'm in here and not a GM for the National Hockey League. So <laughs> what do I know? Um, going in at number six, I have the Florida Panthers. Uh, the, the Panthers ended the season 35, 26 and eight, fourth in, the, in their division and 10th in the Eastern Conference. The expectations were high for the Panthers entering the season after hiring Joe Quinville and add, adding Sergei Bobrovsky to the lineup. And while offensively, the team was very good, the lack of strong defense and terrible goaltending from Bobrovsky left the Panthers in a very similar position outside the playoffs before the bubble. While they did make the playoffs, um, you know, in their qualifying round, that qualifying round was very lackluster to say the least. And they lost to the Islanders in four games. The, the Panthers offense was always going to take them far and they finished six in goals per game while their power play was 10th league wide. Fantastic. But that is where all the greatness stops. Um, only two other teams allowed more goals per game than the Panthers. And that included the last place Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators, who were the second worst team in the league. On the goaltending side, the Panthers thought they solved their problem with signing Bobrovsky, who ended up finishing 3.71 goals against average and 87.3% save percentage in the month of October. That is unbelievably bad for a starting goaltender. And he ended the season with a 3.23 goals against average and a 90% save percentage. Great job. You improved marginally. (laughs) You're still a $10 million goalie who's given me numbers that are just atrocious my outlook for the panthers the panthers lost their second greatest um, goal scorer um, in mike hoffman to free agency and didn't find a and didn't find an equivalent replacement for his loss of production up front that's not to say that they didn't add 
anybody, but most were kind of depth signings and not to the equivalent, you know, production level as uh, Hoffman, Anthony Duclair, maybe the largest signing for the Panthers, um, you know, for a low amount of money, he's going to put up 20 goals and he, and he, he was on track for 30 last year. That's fantastic. However, he falls short on the defensive side, which is their biggest issue. Um, you know, they always have Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau, but the major offensive production kind of stops there. Defensively, per- personnel changes weren't radical, so I would not expect any improvement on the defensive side unless goaltending can improve. The entire season may be up to Bobrovsky, who was inked for seven years at $10 million a year, and he just put up one of his worst seasons in his career after signing that. Talk about a kick in the nuts. Um, players to watch, <laughs> there's one, and that's Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, he's a goaltender that should be up, putting up major numbers in this league. He's coming off the worst of his career and all eyes will be on him to improve on his outing last season. And he could be the catalyst for this team succeeding or failing in the end. He's going to be not only looked at, he's going to be under a fucking microscope the entire season. And if he does not turn it around, the Panthers are going to be major cap hell as they have a $10 million goaltender that they can't trade because he sucks. So all eyes will be on him. So Another, imagine this, Tyler, I have a question for you, and it largely relies revolves around goalie Bob. Will we see the resurgence of Sergei Bobrovsky this season? Or is he going to further regress? <laughs> That's all I have. And uh, I mean, I guess, you know, do you see the, the for the Panthers having a shot at the playoffs? Yeah, no pressure, Mr. Bob. Um, yeah, he, you're right. I mean, this team, this team's success is 100% dependent on Bob, Bob Rofsky. Um, I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and I think he's going to have a, a, a bounce back season. I think he has too good of a track record to assume that he's going to suck again, but dude, you never know. I mean, maybe there's just some weird shit going on in Florida. I mean, I've, I've been to Florida. It's pretty weird. So I, I understand if you just go there and you all of a sudden just kind of lose your mojo. I don't know, but uh, I like I said, I, he's a two-time uh, Vesna Trophy winner. You 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 got to give this guy the the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's going to have a bounce back season. In terms of the Panthers making the playoffs, if Bobrovsky can get to a Vesna level of play, I think they do have a shot because, like I said, I think this division isn't as strong as some other ones, and I think they could potentially grab a four spot. I see it. I, I think it's unlikely. I think he's going to have to have like a really, really great year along with all their offense, you know, playing to their level that they should be able to, and then they might have a shot, but I, I, I think it's, but I think it's a long shot. Um, but like, as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, Bobrovsky is center, the center of attention for a reason signed that huge contract. He has the success. He should be able to put it up. Otherwise, like you said, the Panthers are going to be in a world of hell going forward. Yeah. You know, I hope you're right, but I'm going to say it flat out. I have no fucking faith in Bobrovsky. He has shown me nothing to rely on as of late. We have seen him succeed in the past, um, you know, and although it seems like last year could be a sign of things to come, he could see a, a turnaround, but it, this could be this could be the end. But, you know, I don't know. I don't have confidence in the defensive core outside of Aaron Ekblad, who is fantastic. I absolutely love Barkov and Huberdo. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that they'll be able to – to maintain their production and the production they lost from Mike Hoffman. The lack of depth scoring is a question mark to me. And I expect a six place finish here. I have rounding at seventh place. I have the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, the Blackhawks finished the season 32, 30 and eight seventh in the central and 12th in the Western conference. And we're the last team in the Western conference to qualify for the extended playoffs. 
but they managed to beat the Edmonton Oilers in upset fashion. The Blackhawks ultimately lost to the Golden Knights in the first round. They were completely outclassed by the Golden Knights and were lucky enough to even ground out a win, in my opinion. Um, the offense, Offensively, the team finished 18th in goals per game on the season, but their power play clicked in at just 15.2% for 28th league-wide. Kane continued his Hall of Flame career and has charged his way to 8th in points, but it wasn't enough for him to offset the lack of depth for the team. They're young. On the defensive side, they tie they tied the Flames for 15th in goals against per game and eighth on the PK, but their shots against per game were the worst in the NHL, and they ranked 30th in high danger scoring chances against. Their goaltending tandem of last year has been completely changed, so any stats on that is completely you know meaningless because it's completely different. My outlook for 2021: the Chicago Blackhawks will be without their longtime captain and fearless leader Jonathan Taze. He is their leader, um, their their best penalty killer and elite goal scorer in this league. They have no major additions up front that would net them improvement or replacement of Jonathan Taze, although I would expect to Kane to continue his Hall of Fame career as normal. Defensively, while Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook used to be powerhouses on the back end, they both have, especially in the case of Seabrook, regressed considerably, and they are nearing their last years in the NHL. They do have skilled offensive-minded defensemen in Adam Bodkvist, but you know, he's a couple years from being kind of the quintessential top line defenseman, in my opinion. Um, and then on the back end, you got Robin Leonard and Crawford are done. They, sh- they got shipped out. Uh, Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia are the new goaltending tandem. Malcolm Subban has been the backup in this league since he entered. And Dahlia has even seen more modest NHL work, only appearing in 18 games in two seasons. While these individuals have potential upside, I can't find a more bleaker goaltending tandem uh, as between the two of them, they don't even account for a hundred NHL's career appearances. That's, that's a problem <laughs> in my opinion. They will also be missing key Kirby doc for the potential entire season due to injury. He was set to become this, the captain of the team Canada for the world juniors this year. Um, but he probably would have lost. So maybe it was good that you didn't go <laughs> additions. Matthias Janmark um, is, is notable subtractions. They lost Corey Crawford, Brandon Saad, Oli Mata, and Drake Kajula. That is a, that, that's a, that's the list. That's a lot. That's a lot of guys. Players to Roch, Dylan Strom with Kirby doc and Jonathan Taze out this season, the center position, the first line center position is his Dylan Strom will be given his first line center privileges this season and has a chance to shine in this role. This will give him the opportunity to improve and show that he can compete in a high level with the big boys out there. So watch for him to fill those shoes. My other players to watch are actually together, which is that goalie tandem in Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban. This is the goalie tandem of the Chicago Blackhawks. And these individuals have very little actual experience under their belt on paper. The Blackhawks defense got worse by shipping out Ali Mata. So we could see a very ugly season on the goaltending front. However, goaltenders are unpredictable and we could see very strong seasons from them, but it's going to be fascinating either way to see how they kind of, you know, get thrown into the fire. So my question for you, Alex, how do you see the Blackhawks faring this season with key players being shipped out, injured, and the goalie tandem, you know, very young in this, you know, in this NHL, you know, how do you think they're going to fare? Yeah, yeah. Um, not great, to be completely honest with you. I mean, <laughs> when the organization releases a letter to the fans saying, hey, look, we're rebuilding. It's going to be hard times in Chicago for a little bit. Enjoy Patrick Kane. That's all I can say. Um, you know, but don't overlook them. They're still an NHL team. You know, they obviously beat the Oilers last year. 
uh just thought we'd got to bring that up again you know <laughs> <laughs> you were you looked traded you looked so pained mentioning that yeah i had to back. mention it but <laughs> it hurt it hurt um <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Don't I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, a total pushover. I do think Patrick Kane is still elite. I do think he can lead this team to at least be competitive in games. Um, that goalie tandem, though, is going to have to step up uh, in ways that we're not prepared to believe in them. Um, but you know what? They're in the NHL. They obviously are talented guys. You never know. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. A seventh place finish um, is not all that surprising. And I think the only reason they get that is because of the team we're going to talk about next. Yep. Um, but you know what, Chicago, you had a great run. Give it a couple more years. You'll be back. Hey, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like that. I mean, they did send a letter to their fans, but again, so did the Rangers and they're kind of a big deal now. So yeah, but they lucked into the first overall. Pick. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So my view, the Chicago Blackhawks management has declared that this team in rebuild mode, as we mentioned, and they will be without their captain this season as well, who was seemed kind of pissed about that, by the way. Uh, about the rebuild thing. Um, they will be missing their top two forwards and the defensive side of the puck looks bleak along with the goaltending tandem. I expect this to be a rebuild year and don't expect them to crack the playoffs as they will just not be able to overcome the challenges um, like the other teams, you know, can in, in this, uh, in this division. Number eight. And the final team we're going to talk about is this or this week is the Detroit Red Wings. They finished 17, 49 and five last in the Atlantic, the Eastern conference. And guess what? The entire national hockey league, they ranked in the basement of the league with just two goals per game, 0.3, goals per game below the second worst offensive team in the league, the LA Kings. Like that's a huge drop <laughs> on the defensive side. The Red Wings allowed 3.3, uh, 3.3 uh, 3.73 goals per game, which was by far the worst mark in the league behind the Ottawa senators um, on the goaltending side. Jonathan Bernier is coming off a fairly big season where he actually posted a point or 2.95 goals against average and a 90 uh, or a 90 uh, save percentage in 46 games. That doesn't seem like big numbers, but remember guys, your the team in front of you was absolute ass. So that's pretty damn good. He actually outperformed Bobrovsky. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I, I, I like that. Um, Howard is gone after posting a two 23 and two record while turning in a 4.2 goals against average and an 0.88 save percentage across 27 starts. That's one of the worst in NHL history. Their season was one of the worst in NHL history, but a lot of it has to do with Jimmy Howard's just absolute, like he turned into Swiss cheese, literally. Um, my outlook for 2021, despite the terrible season last year, GM and former superstar captain Steve Eiserman wasted no time in trying to find improvements in all three aspects of the game. On the front, they added Bobby Ryan and Vladislav Nemestikov into the fray. Um, they still have Darren Larkin, Dylan Larkin, who's a bona fide number one center at only the age of 24 and the tallest pillar in this organization. The, he is the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Anthony Mantha remains a top tier goal scorer on his flank. Who's 26 year old, who's 26 um, years old himself and boasts a 40 goal um, potential upside on a team that should be scoring more goals going forward. On the defensive side, Iserman also brought in Mark Stahl and Troy Stetcher to fill the roles this year. And while they aren't game changers, they will at least bring improvement on the back end. And he didn't leave the goaltender position unchecked either. Um, and uh, as he added Thomas Grice into the fray, um, who worked into a 2.74 goals against average and a 9.13 save percentage last season, not too bad. While not his best season, he is becoming a solid goaltender in this league. 
so again, those were major, those are the major additions. As I mentioned, my players to watch will be Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin is slowly becoming one of the best centers in the national hockey league at such a young age. Uh, and he is the face of the organization. Um, he may not produce at breakneck numbers, but in an organization as awful as this one is, he's a huge highlight. Um, and we will look to see him improve offensively and defensively as he looks to bring this team up from the dark basement. And I'm going to have all of the additions to be watching here. Um, I cheated a little bit by picking all of the major additions that Eisenman brought, but I believe they will be the key to providing light at the end of the tunnel. While none of these guys are game breakers in the greatest of senses, they will bring much needed experience to a young core that is just finding their way in the league. And I expect them to, you know, put this team moving in the right direction. So James, do you think we will see the Red Wings improve on their outing last performance or will they be the worst team in the league once again? I 150 billion percent think that they will improve because you can't get worse. Than what you just <laughs> well, did. You, you can, like, <laughs> you can, but then you wouldn't be in the hockey league, man. You'd be playing true, like true. OHL type shit. Maybe an OHL team could even beat them. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is they put up some pretty historically bad numbers. It's going to be tough to replicate that just try a little bit harder, like, you know, like practice for maybe 30 minutes more each day and they'll put up better numbers. <laughs> that simple. So yes, they will be better than last year. It's kind of a shame they didn't get them one overall. Um, that sucks, man. Like where yeah. the lottery work, that's tough. They, they really should have gotten Lafreniere. Yeah. Got his name right. Yeah, but... um, a couple of those acquisitions though, you mentioned them that I think are big ones. Or I'm going to highlight one for each, for each um, part of the game. Uh, Thomas Grice, Bobby Ryan, and Mark Stahl, they're all good additions. A few years past the prime, for the most part. Um, and they aren't franchise-altering players, and they won't turn your franchise – like, they won't automatically make this team like a 30-win team. But they're all pretty good. They're all on short-term contracts. They're pretty much like stopgaps. Um, I mean, like, otherwise you'd be trying to fix a bullet hole, a Band-Aid. That does not work. We know this. Thank you, Taylor Swift. But <laughs> it's more really more focused on – developing their young guys right now and that's exactly what these guys are brought in to do i don't know if they're going to be the worst in the league but they will for sure be down there somewhere yeah look it, it, it's amazing that we have to talk about this bottom feeding red wings when just a long just not too long ago their playoff or making it to the playoff run was older than me and you guys like th like they went on a, a huge run um and guess what i really commend eiserman the gm for the additions he's made and and I think that, you know, like you said, they're not game breakers, but they're going to give experience to, to young guys just finding their way. Um, Dylan Larkin is going to take this team over even more. They will not make the playoffs, but I do expect them to make steps in the right direction. And I look forward to seeing the Red Wings once again in the playoffs in the next in the in a couple of years. And before I end my my uh, my segment, I want to go around the horn and ask what everyone ha how who everyone has in the going in the playoffs. So we'll start with uh, James. Uh, I got the Lightning at number one, Stars at number two, Canes at number three, and Preds at number four. Oh, okay. Tyler? Uh, same top three, Tampa Bay, Dallas, Carolina, but I got Columbus in the fourth yep. spot. Okay, just like me, okay. And Alex? I'm going Lightning, Stars, Blue Jackets, three, Canes, four. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I like I it. like Torts is going to, I don't know, do some fucking magical whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever this torch is. going to tort. Yeah, he's going to do something <laughs> crazy, and I don't know. I, I have – Big feelings on the Blue Jackets this year. I love it. With that, that is the the Central Division, the Discover Cards Central Division. Um, next week we will be going over the the uh, the West Division. You got you got the Kings and the Honda. Ducks being there. So 
Honda division. The Honda division. The Honda, yes, the Honda Western division. <laughs> not calling it that. <laughs> Go Honda. Um, Trading, great job as always. I know that was uh, very in depth, um, but that was a ton of good information. Um, definitely getting us ready for the season. Uh, when we come back, Tyler's going to finish this episode off with a little bit of TV. So uh, we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, we're going to finish off this episode with a little bit of TV talk by our, go- by our guy, Ty Ty. Uh, Tyler, take it away. What up? All right, so I decided we – I want to kind of talk about TV shows for a little bit. I wasn't really sure how to kind of talk about on this podcast, but um, the, the way I kind of asked, asked the boys was kind of a, a TV show that they feel is underrated or a show that they are watching that they kind of want everyone else to watch. Uh, so you're, you're, you're kind of going to, we're kind of kind of sell you on, on the show that we're going to talk about. Um, so we're kind of going to go around the horn. Everyone's going to talk about their favorite TV show um, that they feel like you guys should also take, take a look at. So um, let's start off with James. What do you got? So you asked me to find an underrated TV show. This TV show is fantastic. And I consider it underrated because it's only on Apple TV, not anywhere else. So the TV show that I'm a huge fan of right now is Ted Lasso. That TV show is hilarious. I'm laughing probably every 30 seconds, give or take. I might have peed once or twice because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <Wow>. uh, <laughs> it's so great. It's just subtle humor. The guys, the actor is amazing. Full disclosure, I've only watched three episodes so far, but I love every single second of it. Wow. So therefore, I'm, I'm all about it, right? A little quick synopsis about what this TV show is all about. It's about a coach, a coach who coached an American football team to a division two championship, I believe. And all of a sudden gets hired on to coach a premier league soccer team in Europe. This guy has never, ever, ever done anything soccer related before, but now all of a sudden he's in charge of a premier league team who the team that's about to face relegation, which means going back to the other or the uh, premier league B side. Uh, But anyway, it's just a story about how he brings everybody together and, makes everything work and develops chemistry among players and teaches lessons. And the really cool thing about it is as the story goes on, as the episodes go on, you start to feel for the coach, Ted Lasso, and you just, you're rooting for him. Every single episode that goes by, you're like, I love this man. Like this guy, I want to be on his team because he's such a great coach. He may not know anything about the sport, but it's all about making the person and the athlete a better person when he's leaving. It's not necessarily about wins or losses. Because there's a quote in there that's like, you can win some games but still lose, and you can lose some games but still win. And that's really honestly about if you're becoming a better man or a better person outside of the game. It's not always about soccer. It's not always about sports. It's more about life. And that's why I enjoy it. Stupid question. Um, Is this any way, like, kind of based on any kind of true events, or is this completely, like, fake? As I'm three episodes in, I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find that out in season two. <laughs> is there a season two? I have no idea. <laughs> it is uh okay from someone that has finished the whole thing. I agree with you, James. The show is phenomenal. Trading, I'm 95% sure that's not based off of true events. I mean, I feel like we would have heard about that, you know, like that's probably wild. Probably. Um, but yeah, it's the show's great. It's great. Nice. Yeah, I have everybody should get it. Apple TV and watch it. 
Yeah, I've not seen it, but I have heard great things. You're probably the third or fourth person that has spoken very highly of the show. So that is one I need to need to start watching. Uh, Traden, what show do you got for us? Yeah, so I have to back my, back up James's like feel good one with a pretty dark one. <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not a huge TV guy. It's not it's not my hobby. Um, but you know, I had to pick one, and, and this is one that I have seen a little bit of, and and I'm really interested in actually sitting down and actually, you know watching it again and getting really engaged. Um, but that'd be The Handmaid's Tale. It's on uh, Hulu. They currently have three seasons. Um, the fourth is set to premiere here here in 2021. Um, again, I haven't seen a lot of this show, um, but you know, if Kylie can invest the same time with me, we're going to watch it. Um, but I will say before I get into it, it, it it's very it's very heavy and has a lot of heavy content, so it might not be for uh, it, the faint of heart. Um, the Handmaid's Tale is a deep, and at times disturbing television show based off a, based off a 1985 novel of the same name um, by a Canadian author, Margaret Atwood. The plot takes place in a dystopian United States society following the second American civil war, where a totalitarian uh, society subjects um, fertile women to like a childbearing slavery thing. Um, the world fertility rates have collapsed as a result of widespread STIs, environmental pollution, and this totalitarian government leading, you know, a militarized hierarchy of, you know, classes. Um, the women in this show are forced to work in very limited roles and the fertile women are enslaved to help the population stay intact. The show follows June Osborne as she struggles with the realities of being a handmaid, which is one of the enslaved um, women and her attempt to reunite with her family in, in Canada who kind of have fled her daughter and her son, or I'm sorry, her uh, husband. Um, the show's main theme is the presence and manipulation of power and that, and how this dictatorship imposes it on the, on the masses. Um, uh, you know, it's something that really kind of, unfortunately it engages you, but, and, and it makes you really think about, you know, society as a whole in, 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 a, in, in like a totalitarian, you know, uh, situation completely different than what we see here in the United States. Um, it has a lot of genre and some horror in a sense. I mean, it's not like, like jump scares, but it's something that is horror from, from just a, a human humanistic standpoint, it's very engaging. And, um, if you can handle it, I think, I think it's a show that, you know, is, is pretty intense and, and, uh, it's a good watch. Awesome. Yeah. That's another, an, an, another good one. I've heard good things about. That's one reason why I wanted to do this. So I could see what you guys recommend for me to watch. <laughs> uh, Alex, what do you got? Yeah, so my show, I think, is the only one out of the, the ones that we picked that is not currently still airing new episodes. Um, so it's Psych. It was on USA from, wait for it, like in the mid-2000s, uh, 2005 to 2014. Uh, it follows a duo, uh, Sean and Gus. Uh, also, Gus is who, uh, the character is what I named my dog after. So that's also a big shout out to my, to my little pup. Um, so it kind of follows Sean. Uh, he's a uh, kind of a screw up. And then, but he ha his dad was a cop and his, his dad taught him to have extremely in-depth and um, observation skills. And then he uses that to trick the police uh, into thinking that he's a psychic and then he helps them solve cases. Uh, it's funny. It's witty. It can be really heartfelt. It'll, it'll be a tearjerker at some points. Um, also, I just got to give a shout out to my boy, Matt Murphy. Uh, he and I used to watch the show together all the time we get really drunk and then we make tyler drive us dominoes great times <laughs> <laughs> so i gotta give a shout out to my boy matt and thank you tyler for driving us dominoes all the time 
Um, but yeah, Psych is uh, you know one of my top five top five shows of all time. That Desert Island show, um, I'd rewatch it all the time. Um, it's on Prime Video, um, but you can find it kind of all over the place. Um, I know James, you said that you were oh, you were happy with show. my pick. Yeah, it's oh, great. Great show. Great show. Question for you, fast though. Yes, I have a couple questions actually. What is their obsession with pineapples? Like, why is there a pineapple in like every episode? Dude, I don't know, but it is funny, yeah, because there's a pineapple in every episode, and sometimes it's blatantly obvious. Like, they'll come in like bearing a pineapple as a gift, and then yeah. other times it's like a minor character is wearing a shirt that has like one pineapple like as its logo. No idea. I think it's just the creators probably thought it was funny, and that's their like that's their. That's thing. the reason why I love pineapple. Fun fact. I'm gonna have yeah, I'm gonna have to look it up. <laughs> I don't know for sure. My second question, though, um, so the actors that play Sean and Juliet, they yeah. got married, didn't they? Are they still together? No, like they, real life. They did. They, just they, they did date for like a while. I just looked this up. This is really funny. They did date for a while, and then I guess they broke up right before the last season, but didn't oh. tell like the entire cast and crew because they thought everyone would be awkward, and they would like, and they played it off totally well in that last season you have you could have no idea they still have great chemistry together um but i don't think they're together anymore now damn that's sad stuff yeah but yeah psych great show they pulled a real psych on the on the cast and crew there didn't they nice nailed it wow God, i, I yeah. hate you so much got him wow. got him yeah stop with your head yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i definitely remember you and matt watching psych all the time and the, the few episodes that i have seen are me walking on you and Matt watched it together, so it was uh, real, oh, real, real weird. It's a weird pause when you said that, by the way. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why you had to say it like that, but Matt, you know yeah. what? I still love you, bud. So. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> oh man, Matt will understand. Yeah. Um. All right. So the show that I picked for you guys to watch is a show called Vikings. Um, it's one of my favorite shows. Um, so real quick synopsis on the show: Vikings is inspired by the sagas of Viking Ragnar Lothbrok. One of the best-known legendary Norse heroes and notorious as ra- of raids of England and France, the show portrays Ragnar as a farmer who ri- who rises to fame by raiding England and eventually becomes a Scandinavian king, with the support of his family and fellow warriors. In the later seasons, the series follows the, f- the fortunes of his sons and their adventures in England, Scandinavia, Ukraine, the Mediterranean, and North America. So, more or less, it's a show about Vikings. So, the show is aptly named. Um, so, it, it first aired in 2013 on the History Channel. Um, it is, is currently in its final season, which just released on Amazon Prime uh, last week. I haven't gotten to watch it yet because I've been too busy with the movie and everything. I'm definitely going to start watching that. Um, so six total seasons, um, uh, 89 episodes total. Um, as I mentioned, the, the final season, you can watch all seasons on Amazon Prime. Um, you can also watch all other seasons except for this current one on Hulu as well. Um, so episodes four and six are 20 episodes each split into two parts. So it's kind of like uh, 10 episodes, part one, season four, 10 episodes, part two, season four. So it's kind of confusing towards the end there, but that's kind of how they split it up. Um, so yeah, this, this, this sh- the, the reason why I like this show, um, at first it was like my Game of Thrones withdrawal medication. Um, it kind of has a similar feel at first but then when you kind of watch the show it really is nothing like game of thrones other than the fact that they, they fight with sword, with swords and axes and stuff um it's very very different from from that show um not all events in that show are historically accurate even though it kind of portrays it as a as a historically accurate um 
but you do learn a lot about Viking culture and religion, which is super fascinating. That stuff's pretty accurate in, in, in the show. Uh, it's, it's very character driven. I think the acting in this show is fantastic. I, I really, really enjoy it all. Just every character is, I think does a great job. Um, I think the first three or four seasons are insanely good. I, you know, there's been kind of up and downs in terms of what the last few seasons have been. I still think they're very good. Not as good as the first few, but still very, very watchable. Uh, it's, it's a quite a violent show. As you've, if you know anything about Vikings, they're very, very, very violent. Um, but it also has great stories of Viking adventures and heroes. And for me, it's a joy to watch. Um, I love it. And I just feel like no one really talks about it. Um, I don't really know anyone else that I've, I've never talked to anyone that has been like, oh, I, I love that show. And I, I watch that show too. Um, but it's definitely one of my favorites. It actually is 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's pretty uh, well reviewed. Re received overall um so i think it should get more attention so if, if you have amazon prime if you have a hulu account go check out vikings i think it'll be uh worth your while um so that wraps up my tv show segment uh hopefully you guys can send us some of your recommendations on shows that you would like us to watch um other than that, that that's all i got quick question so yeah. you said it's like game of thrones i'm yeah. assuming there's less nudity right it's on history Less bibs. It's as close to as nudity as you can get with actually showing nudity. If mm. That makes sense. So there still are a lot. Way of less interested now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there still definitely is the the sexual part of the show, which is not as obvious and is not as uh, graphic as Game of Thrones is. In your face. Yeah. Yeah. But it's as <laughs> close it. as you can get. Got it. Okay. Being on cable. Okay. Cool. 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 I yeah. think uh, we'll have to next episode. Uh, we'll have to ask Eric what his recommendations are too. We'll have to get them in there real quick, uh, yeah. so we can hear. Because I'm sure, I'm sure Eric pulls some deep, oh, deep yeah. dives. I'm sure there's something crazy going on <laughs> in that guy's brain for sure. Um, but other than that, great epi boys. Um, again, you know, reach out to us on social media. Uh, James has been killing it with Instagram. Um, we've been writing more articles lately too. If you feel like reading, sometimes you know we're all still stuck at home a lot, so. Uh, you know, follow us again. Uh, other than that, everyone stay safe. Have a great week and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday.